Well, I do want to wish everyone here that's a mother a happy Mother's Day. Hopefully you're going to have the day that you want. I always have this tremendous pressure. I feel like, okay, what do I need to do? But my daughters really take care of most of that, and they do a wonderful job because they love their mom so much. I also want to wish my mother a happy Mother's Day. I'm in the ministry today because of her. It's kind of interesting listening to Michael sing that song. I'm thinking about all the prayers that my mom has prayed for me. But more importantly, probably the example that she set. She really taught me how to follow Jesus Christ by her example. You know, I think about all the things growing up. You see the good and the bad in people. You see it in your parents. But you know, with my mom, I don't think I ever saw any bad. I don't believe I've ever heard her ever say anything bad about anyone. In fact, if I do ever hear her say anything bad about someone, I take that back, Mom, I have. Ted Kennedy. That's right. Never mind. Okay. But besides that, I don't believe I've ever heard her say anything bad about anyone. And if I ever heard her say anything bad about someone, I would know that person is really, really a bad person. My mom truly lives by the principles of God's Word. And when I think about the three people who've impacted me the most, it would be my mom, my dad, and my wife. And I want to wish my wife a happy Mother's Day. If anyone was ever meant to be a mother, it's my wife. I've not always been the best father. I think my daughters could uh, attest to that. But I can actually say without a doubt that my girls got the best mom ever. The best mother they could ever have. So happy Mother's Day, Mom. Now, if you're a mother here, I don't have to tell you how tough of a job that is. You know how tough it is. And you know that it actually starts before you ever give birth. Think about this. You've got morning sickness. And if you're one of the few lucky ones that didn't go through that morning sickness, praise God. But you have morning sickness, swollen feet, hours in labor, sometimes as many as 18 to 20 hours. You know, it's kind of interesting. That's one of the one place that women will try to one-up the other woman, telling about how long they were in labor. And then you have childbirth itself. Now, I know how traumatic that is because after our second child was born, I told my wife, I can't go through that again. Two's all we're going to have. You know, I long for the days when the man stayed out in the waiting room and the doctor came out and said, I just want you to know you have a son or you have a daughter. But anyways, you know, after the second child was born, I told Lisa, I can't do that again. Two's all we're going to have. But I want you to understand, childbirth is just meant to prepare you for what's ahead. Right? Because once you take that baby home, you find out for the next six weeks that you don't get but two hours of sleep at night. And we're not talking about two hours all at once. We're talking about 30 minutes here, 15 minutes there, 30 minutes there. Until you figure out that the doctor was a quack who told you not to feed your baby any cereal. So you learned after you had no more sleep that, you know, if I take a little bit of cereal and I mix it with the formula, I'll get three to four hours of sleep at night. True? And think about it. What the kids don't crap on, they throw up on. And they're not even sick. They're just eating, pooping machines. And then they do get sick, and you know, you can't sleep at all until they get well again. And gone are the days that you could just jump in the car and go somewhere. Uh Uh-uh. Now, once you have that child, it's like you're packing for a three-week safari. You've got the car seat, diapers, formula, extra set of clothes, baby wipes, baby lotion, pacifier, baby powder. And the one thing that you forget is the one thing you're going to need. And you learn that over time. 
So when you get out to go someplace, it's almost like you're packing for vacation. And you keep telling yourself, well, you know, this will all end once I get them potty trained. (laughs) Because as soon as you start the potty training, that's when you find out you're pregnant again. So now you're on this mission. The first kid will be potty trained before the second one gets here because you can't have two kids in diapers at the same time. At least that's what you tell yourself. But then you discover you can because now that the baby's arrived, you don't have time to ask the first child, do you need to go potty? And then dad comes home and he wants to know why Tommy, who's three and a half years old, is still pooping in his pants. But then he shuts up when he sees the look in your eye and he goes and changes Tommy and says, Ooh, Mom must have had a bad day today. Now, does that sound familiar? Well, if it doesn't sound familiar, you've never been a mom. That's the way it is for most moms. In fact, I read an article by James Lowe this week that said, By the time a child reaches the age of 18, his mother has handled over 18,000 extra hours of child-generated work. 18,000 extra hours of child-generated work. In fact, women who've never had children enjoy the equivalent of an extra three months a year in leisure time. And every mother's going, an extra three months a year in leisure time? I would just like to be able to go to the bathroom without someone knocking on the door going, Mom, 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 right? Just to be able to go to the bathroom. I can remember coming home when the girls were little and they would go around. Shh, mom's in the bathroom. Let's just give her a little bit of freedom there. But you know what? Those women who don't have children really miss out on the things that are really important in life. They miss out on the things that bring true joy. They'll never get to experience the love that a mother has for her child. And never get to experience that special bond that you create. Am I right, moms? Yeah. Now, when you think of mothers in the Bible, who do you think of? Just off the top of your head, list a few mothers in the Bible that you think of when I say mothers and Bible in the same sentence. Sarah? Is Sarah one of them? You know, she was the mother of Isaac, and then you had Rebecca, who's the mother of Jacob and Esau. What about Rachel and Leah? Now, we mainly think about the conflict between those two. But, you know, they were the mothers of the sons of Jacob. And then, who was the mother of Moses? This is kind of a trivia question. It's one of those weird names most people don't know. Who was the mother of Moses? Oh, good. I'm the only one that knows. Jochebed. Yeah. See if you remember that one. And who was the mother of Samuel? Hannah. They got that one. Oh, yeah, Hannah was the mother of Samuel. Well, you know, when I think of mothers in the Bible, I think of three who's in the New Testament. I think of Mary, the mother of Jesus, Eunice, no, not the one on Mama, Eunice, the mother of Timothy, and James and John's mother, Miss Zebedee. Now, it's kind of interesting. Why would I call her Miss Zebedee? Is it because, you know, she was a teacher? You know, when you're in school, you have to call the teacher by Miss whatever her name is. So why do we call her Miss Zebedee? Because her first name is never given in the Bible. In fact, the only time that it refers to her, she's referred to simply as the mother of Zebedee's sons. Look with me, if you would, in the book of Matthew, chapter 20, verse number 20. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. Now, I don't think that's really fair, and I'll tell you why I don't think that's fair. 
I don't think that's fair because really Zebedee didn't do anything in the Bible. His wife did, but did you notice they didn't give her credit except to say the mother of Zebedee's children? That kind of lets you know how it was a male-dominated society. We'll talk a little bit about that some other time. But anyways, this morning I want to show you some interesting things about these three mothers in the New Testament. Mary, Eunice, and Miss Zebedee. And of course what I'm going to do is I'm going to apply these things to motherhood. To show you what you can learn from all of the mothers in the Bible. And more specifically just these three. So let's start with Mary. Mary had the perfect son. Now, when I say Mary had the perfect son, I'm not talking about she had a good son. You know, my mom has always told people that I was perfect. And if uh, I wasn't perfect, then she would have known. But she does not see any of my imperfections. So she tells everyone that I'm perfect. Now, my sister doesn't like to hear that she gets upset because my nickname growing up as a child was Personality Plus. Oh yeah, I was always happy, I was always humming, I was always whistling. My wife will tell you today, I'll be humming and I don't even know I'm humming. I enjoy life. So when my, my mom says that I was perfect, you know she's exaggerating. But Mary was not exaggerating. Mary had the perfect child. She never had to spank Jesus, she never had to correct him. He was never selfish. He was always loving and helpful. He thought about what others wanted and he would do it. I even wonder at times, when he was a baby, did he only poop at convenient times? Do you you ever wonder those things? You know, he was a perfect baby. So, you know, in the middle of the night when she was sleepy, did he somehow know and all he did was whimper that he was hungry? He didn't really cry and throw fits. I was at a funeral one time, and the minister was speaking and was talking about all the childhood diseases that Jesus must have had. And I thought, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not true. You see, he wasn't under the curse of the law. We're talking about someone who was perfect. The things that he had to suffer was only because he lived in a sinful world. I want you to understand Mary had the perfect child. Now, I'm just kind of kidding when I talk about, you know, pooping at convenient times. But I'm trying to make a point. The point that I'm trying to make was Jesus was the perfect child. The type of child that every parent dreams about. So naturally, what would you think? You would think that motherhood for Mary would have been easy. But it wasn't. You see, just because you have good kids doesn't mean that that motherhood is going to be easy. And that's a good lesson for everyone, and especially mothers. Because there's going to be times when you feel like it's, you're, you're blessed beyond measure being a mother. And there's going to be times that you feel cursed for being a mother. And that's the way it was for Mary. Think about it. Being pregnant with the Son of God was a blessing. But having to endure the rumors that were being spread about her felt like a curse. So it was kind of a catch-22. Having her child blessed by Simeon in the temple was a blessing. But knowing what his role would be and having that prophet tell you that one day your heart would be pierced with the sword was a curse. Look at Luke chapter 2 verses 34 through 35. It says, Then Simeon blessed them and he said to Mary the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your very soul. And how true that was. 
being visited by the wise men from the east and receiving these wonderful gifts for them was a blessing. But then finding out about Herod's intention of killing her son and then having to run to a foreign nation, Egypt, was a curse. Look in Matthew chapter 2, verse number 13. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So the greatest lesson that I feel we can learn from Mary is this. It's a blessing to be a mom, but sometimes it feels like a curse also. I don't care how good your children are. You're going to have good times and you're going to have bad times. But God is going to be with you every time. And that's what you have to remind yourself of when you're going through those times when you feel like it's cursed to be a mother. You've got to remember that, hey, God is with me. This too will pass. So what can we learn from Eunice? I have to be honest. Every time I hear the name Eunice, I always think of Carol Burnett on the Mama Show, right? That's what I think of of Eunice. But the truth of the matter is, this Eunice was nothing like her. So turn with me, if you would, to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse number 5. And I want to show you some of the things that we can learn from Eunice. It says, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. You know, the first thing that I really notice about this is that no father or grandfather is mentioned. Now, people, we're talking about a society that was dominated by males. So men were always mentioned. Most of the women were only referred to as the wife of so-and-so or the mother of so-and-so. So when you read something like this and you see that no father or no grandfather is mentioned, you understand that this was a single parent home. Now, according to church tradition, Lois and Eunice were both Jews who had become followers of Jesus Christ. But Eunice married an unbeliever. She married a pagan, someone who never became a believer. And he supposedly died while Timothy was a child. Now there's another group that shares the belief that he actually deserted his family. That's why Timothy was raised by his grandmother and his mother without a man in the house. In other words, he was raised in a single-parent home. Now, again, according to church tradition, Eunice didn't allow the fact that she was a single parent to stop her from raising Timothy in the way that he should go. Being a Jew, she understood and knew the Old Testament Scriptures. And she knew the one Scripture that every mother quoted to each other. What is that scripture? Proverbs chapter 22, verse number 6. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So what Eunice did was capitalized on the fact that she could teach and model the Christian faith without having any negative influence around her son in the home. So single mothers, I want you to listen to me. I know that it's tough Raising a child alone. But you've got to get past that in order to bless the children. You've got to get past that for the sake of your children. And you've got to see things from a positive perspective. You've got to see things from Eunice's perspective. And I'll explain why in just a second. You see, Eunice understood 
But even though she didn't have a marriage partner helping her to raise Timothy, at least she didn't have someone around the house working against her. You see, sometimes it's better to have no man around the house than it is to have a jerk around the house. Don't buy into, lie, into the lie that any man is better than no man. I don't know why, but every once in a while I see women that cannot go through life without a man. They are the ones that's been divorced over and over and over again. And they always wonder why. Man, I've had two husbands or I've had three husbands and it seems like I can't pick a winner. I'll tell you why you can't pick a winner. You have bought into the lie that any man is better than no man. You don't want to marry a jerk. When we were going through the series, the four things, the four easy ways of ruining your life, I brought up the third way, and that third way was what? To marry a jerk. And the interesting thing about Eunice is Eunice did not buy into the lie that any man is better than no man. She had learned her lesson by marrying a pagan. He was, had bad influence on it. So no matter what the cause, whether he actually died or whether he deserted the family, she raised her child according to the Word of God. And single women, this should give you hope. People, I want you to understand that if you're a single mother, that you have the ability and you have the blessing to be like Eunice that you have the ability to raise a child to be a godly man. You see, Timothy was Paul's right-hand man. And he was a man's man, even though a man was not in the home. Single moms, you can do it. Don't ever let anyone tell you that you cannot do it. Eunice proved the fact. And you know, sometimes I think that God allows certain things and he puts it in the Bible for us to realize that in these situations, no matter what the world tells us, God can overcome that situation if we do his will. And Eunice is a good example of that. Now, let's look at Mrs. Zebedee. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Matthew, chapter 20. I'm going to read verses 20 and 21. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request, he asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. Now, I want you to notice the phrase, in your kingdom. Miss Zebedee wanted her kids to be in his kingdom. In other words, she wanted her kids to be part of the kingdom of God. Now, moms, I can't think of anything more important than praying that your children would become part of the kingdom of God. Because the only way to become part of the kingdom of God is to be saved. So in essence, what Mrs. Mrs. Zebedee was praying for was for her kids to be saved, to be part of the kingdom of God. And that's the most important thing in life. I don't know why, but sometimes we get caught up in wanting our kids to have all of these material things. In fact, I think it's every parent's desire for their kids to have more than what they had growing up. And you see this in generation after generation. The only problem is, now we've come to a generation that doesn't know how to work. Because we had to work growing up. And so we, we, we thought to ourselves that I want my kids to have it better than, how, than, than what I had it. And as a result of that, many times we don't make them do what we had to do when we were growing up. And it's hurt this generation. We've got a generation that does not have a good work ethic. We've got a generation that wants something for nothing. We've got a generation that truly has this sense of entitlement. I'm an American, 
Therefore, I deserve all of these things. And people, that's not true. Now, I'm just kind of gone off on a tangent now, but the thing that I want you to see is that sometimes we get so caught up wanting our kids to have all of these material things. And then we want them to grow up to be something like a lawyer or maybe a doctor. And we forget what's really important. What's really important in life? What's really important in life is being part of the kingdom of God. Look with me, if you would, in the book of Mark, chapter 8, verse number 36. It says, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? In other words, what it's saying is, parents, what good is it if your child grows up to be a doctor, your child grows up to be a lawyer, but they go to hell? What good was it? If they become very, very successful and everyone looks at them and says, what a success your child is if they die and go to hell. So moms, you need to have the very same concern that Mrs. Zebedee had for her sons. I hope that as a mother you have a burden to pray that your children would be part of the kingdom of God, that your children would be saved so that they wouldn't have to go to hell one day. But that's not the only thing that you should be praying for. That's just the start a starting place. So let's see what else Miss Zebedee prayed for her kids. Look with me, if you would, in verse number 21. What is your request, he asked. She replied, In your kingdom, please let my son sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right hand and the other on your left hand. Now, if you take a closer look at this, you'll notice that she wanted her sons to be involved in the work of the kingdom. You see, sitting on the right hand and the left hand meant that they would be in positions of authority. In other words, they would be actively involved in what was going on. So basically what she was praying for is that they would be actively involved in the kingdom of God. Now let me say something that might shock you. It's not enough to just be saved. Churches are full of people who are content to simply come on Sunday mornings, sit in a chair, and listen to the message. There are enough people that's willing to just come and listen to the sermons and be blessed without ever getting involved. But here's what's sad. Yes, they'll go to heaven because of the believers. But the sad thing is, they'll be the least in the kingdom of God. They won't receive any spiritual rewards. They won't receive any eternal rewards. You see, we are saved by grace, but we are rewarded by works, people. Jesus taught that time and time again. The Apostle Paul taught that time and time again. You are saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. But you also need to understand you are rewarded by works. Those who are faithful on this earth will get to rule and reign with him, and they will get to rule and reign over much. Those who are not faithful, what they were supposed to rule and reign over will be taken from them and given to those that were faithful. That's what... The Word of God teaches. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 10. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive what we deserve. Now let me just explain something. When you get saved, you receive mercy and you receive grace. Mercy and grace are not the same. Mercy is not receiving what you deserve. We all deserve to go to hell. If you've never heard that, let me just wake you up. We all deserve to go to hell. But because of Jesus Christ, we've received mercy. We do not receive what we deserve. 
Now, what's the difference between mercy and grace? Grace is receiving what we don't, re- what we don't deserve. Do you see the difference? Mercy, did you see that? Mercy is not receiving what you deserve. Grace is receiving what you don't deserve. Now notice he said we will each receive what we deserve. For the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Thank the Lord that we're saved by grace. Thank the Lord that we have mercy through Christ Jesus. But you need to understand something. When you stand before Jesus and Christians will, it's not at the great white throne judgment, but it is at the judgment seat of Christ for all believers. The reason we'll be judged is because we will receive spiritual rewards in heaven. But for the person who's just content to come to church, they're a believer, they sit here, they listen, they don't apply the word of God, they don't get out and work for the kingdom of God, they're not actively involved in the kingdom of God, they will not receive spiritual rewards. One of the things that I would love to see when I stand before God as your pastor is that the majority of our people here at Cornerstone Fellowship are receiving rewards. I'm going to be more excited than anyone else, probably more than your mama, when I see you receiving eternal rewards, when I see you receiving spiritual rewards, because it means that you weren't just here sitting in a chair on Sunday mornings, but you were taking the word of God that I was teaching, applying to your life, and and you became actively involved in the kingdom of God. So moms, if you really want what's best for your kids, you're going to pray that they become actively involved in the kingdom of God. We used to say, Not pew sitters, but we don't have pews anymore. So anyways, the last thing she prayed for was that her kids would do big things for God. You know, I I, kind of like this when I read it because Miss Zebedee had big expectations. And I think so many times we don't have big expectations. I want you to notice that she didn't just pray that her kids would be doorkeepers in the temple of God. No, she wanted her kids to be sitting on the right hand and the left hand of the king. Now people, when you're working in a kingdom, there are no higher positions than sitting on the right hand or the left hand of the king. And that's exactly what she wanted for her kids. Now I know that there are certain people that think that what Miss Zebedee was asking for was brash, And it was presumptuous. But I have to admire her boldness. And I hope that my mom has prayed those prayers for me. I believe that too often we settle for mediocrity. And as long as our kids are saved and they're going to church, well, that's good enough. But people, that is not good enough. Yes, we should want our kids saved, but we should also want them actively involved in the work of the kingdom. But not only that, we should want them doing great things for God. Now, moms, I know you love your kids. And I know that you want what's best for them. So I encourage you to take a lesson from all three of these women. The first one was Mary. The thing that you have to understand, no matter how good your child is, there will be good times and there will be bad times. There will be times when you think you are so blessed being a mom and there will be other times when you think it's a curse to be a mom. You have several kids and you come in and with the afternoon off and you look and these kids have been and they've gone through your house like a tornado, you're going to think it's a curse. But you know what? It doesn't matter how good your kids are. 
those things are going to happen. But just remember, God will be with you every time. And then we look at Eunice. We find out how important the role of a mother is. That without even, a, without even having a marriage partner to help her, she was able to raise a godly man. A man of God who did great things. Who was Paul's right-hand man. And he was truly a man's man. When everyone else was deserting Paul, not Timothy. When the job needed to be done and he couldn't call on anyone else, he called upon Timothy. Did Timothy get down from time to time? You bet he did. That's why Paul had to write the book of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. 1 Timothy was how to administrate a large church because Timothy was doing great things. In fact, Timothy was the pastor of the first mega church besides the church of Jerusalem. Scholars estimate that the church of Ephesus where Timothy was the pastor ran over 25,000 people. And he was a very young man, but he was able to do it. But when the persecution came, then all of his church members just kind of fled and it dwindled down to nothing and he became depressed. And Paul had to write 2 Timothy and tell him, hey, listen, don't worry about that. Here's what you need to do. And he laid out everything in the book of 2 Timothy that a pastor should be doing. But I want you to understand something. This was a man who was raised in a single parent home. Mothers, you have more impact over your children than you can imagine. And then, of course, Zebedee's wife, the mother of Zebedee's sons. She prayed that the kids would be saved. She prayed that they'd be actively involved in the kingdom of God. And she prayed that they'd be doing great things for God. Now, hopefully, mothers, I know you love your kids, but I hope this morning's message has inspired you to get your house in order. The most important thing in things in life are spiritual. The physical things in this life are temporal. The spiritual things in life are eternal.